welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In this, our first episode of this mini-series, we are joined in conversation by Delvin Case. Now, Del is somebody that Tim and I met on Facebook uh, through the Deconstructionists podcast group, and he posted this, uh, the following, which I'll share with you now, which is referenced later in the episode. Um, So this is what we're talking about. As someone who is committed to ecumenical work, yet who is constantly realizing just how traumatized I have been by my conservative Christian background, I'm finding it harder and harder not to be triggered by some of the ideas, people, and language I encounter among the evangelicals I work with. It's disheartening. Anybody have any thoughts about how to protect myself while also continuing this kind of work? I want to be gracious and patient and kind, but sometimes I just can't deal. There was something in the way in which Dell phrased that, that had us thinking there must be some story behind this. And so as a continued exploration around deconstruction and people's stories, we thought we'd have a conversation with Dell. And because of the process that he went through looking for, for new ways of thinking theologically, new ways of being that would allow him freedom and space to breathe, we felt that this would just be a good space to slot him in in episode one, although he's not uh, essentially an open and relational theological thinker um, he thought it would be a great we thought it'd be a great way to kick off this episode with Dell's story so thanks for joining us and enjoy excellent well um i think just start off with uh thank you so much for responding to just a, a crazy stranger on the internet spotting your post <laughs> And, and and thinking we could just uh, pick up a conversation around that. Um, so yeah, this is really just uh, exploratory and, you know, as we say, a conversation. But I, you know, I, I just really resonated with your post and the sense of frustration that you so cordially expressed. <laughs> mm. And uh, I, and I thought it's just, uh, you know, um, I resonate with that for, for, for many different reasons. And, and, and it's largely because anyone that steps forward and is pushing into new ground, especially from an evangelical stream, um, tends to get quite a bit of backlash and it ends up being quite a rough experience or can be. And I thought it would be worth just having a conversation around that. Um, and um, yeah, so, you know, over to you and, and, and Steve, really. I mean, that's my, that's my <laughs> rando start. <laughs> Yeah, I just wonder whether it would be helpful um, for our listeners. Perhaps we can come to that. We'll actually just uh, we'll we'll queue up that post if you're happy with that, Dell, as we go. Mm. But I thought what might make most sense for us to kick off is just to, uh, you know, as, as Tim has welcomed, you get an idea of of who you are, and our listeners can pick up some of your story. Um, and in specifics, as I mentioned when we were chatting. Um, if you can touch on what are your earliest experiences of God and how if you would answer that question, it would be lovely if you can weave that in amongst your answer, uh, some of your story around who you are and where you come from. Sure thing. Uh, uh, I live in Boston. I'm a, a music professor at a small college. I teach mostly undergraduates. Um, I'm a composer and a conductor. I'm also a musicologist, a writer, a scholar. So I wear a lot of hats because I teach hmm. as a generalist. Um, I have been involved as a church musician for my whole life, though not as much, but not primarily as a church musician. Um, and I've, you know, was raised Catholic, then became evangelical, and now find myself in the progressive Christian uh, area. And through all of those experiences, I've, 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 I've been involved as a musician, playing for and teaching students in many, many different Christian traditions while at the same time trying to figure out what my faith is like and where I feel comfortable. And today, much of the work that I do professionally is related to my own personal commitment to uh, interreligious dialogue or specifically intra-religious dialogue. So I have a real Mm -hmm. ecumenical bent. So I continue to try to use my position and experience and background as a musician to serve the church or to help different kinds of Christians come together uh, in ways that are peaceful and are marked by a sense of, of mutual understanding and respect and authenticity. 
Um, and so I, I don't, I teach at a secular college, um, but I work broadly and ecumenically around the world with different communities. Mm. Uh, and so professionally, that's what I'm really interested in, but I'm doing it because uh, I, I'm personally committed to uh, the belief that the church is one. Um, mm. You had asked about first experiences of God. Um, they're not surprisingly related to music. Um, mm-hmm. I um, first of all started being an altar boy in my Catholic church when I was five or six because I was so bored at mass. At least the altar boys got to do something. <laughs> you know, uh, you just get to move and you know walk around and carry candles and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, uh, but I probably the most important early experience I, ha- I had of God besides my dad reading reading me Bible stories was. Uh, was singing in church. Uh, I remember specifically singing uh, the the classic Christmas song, "A Little Drummer Boy." You know, come they told me, "Pum pum pum." Right. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. it was an Advent service in my Catholic church, and I I sang that song as a solo, unaccompanied, my little boy soprano. Uh, sort of, pre- I did sort of the processional down the down the nave and around, and um, I liked being the star of the show. Uh, I liked the fact that I got a lot of approval from my church community for my mm-hmm. talent. Um, mm-hmm. I remember the one, again, at a, as a six-year-old, I, I asked my dad, could I do this at church? And this was like at a church, you know, a lot of Catholic churches don't do a lot of congregational song. Like they don't sing very robustly. Mm-hmm. Um, I experienced, and so here's this little boy who wanted to sing a solo. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad going to the priest and saying, you know, can he do this? And and the compromise was, well, he can't sing it as, a, he can't really sing it like as an anthem or anything, but he could maybe sing while, while, while we carry in the crucifix. So that's how I got to be like a marching little drummer boy. Um, and there, it was all there. It was, it was ritual. It was music. Mm-hmm. It was, it was ego massage. It was everyone looking at me, <laughs> you know? And I think ever since then I was hooked on, on God and music in the church at the same time, baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was age six in, in yeah. the Catholic faith. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I was really all into, I believe what they told me about God. Um, I remember when I was seven or eight, I saw a really scary movie. And I remember just asking my dad, like, dad, you got to drive me to church so I can go like pray. Sure. Right. And my dad was like, you know, he just, he was lapsed Catholic. He just brought the family back to church when he had, I was the oldest kid. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So he was probably thinking like, what, who is this crazy child? Like, <laughs> Like he believes this stuff and he wants me to drive him at like seven o'clock at night to go. I would go walk into the empty church and go down to the altar and like kneel and pray to God to save me from my nightmares. Mm. So I was, I was all in. Mm. Um, and I've ever, I've been all in forever, basically. Mm. Um, even though the, the way I imagine God has changed a lot and church. Sure. <laughs> and those, I mean, <clears throat> that's such a fascinating um or moment or series of moments that you talk about there in terms of, you know, asking your dad to take you to church in an evening to go and pray. Was there something specific that you felt that, that drew you to that response? First question. And second question in those moments, I mean, if, if you can like set the stage for us going into that church, what is that like when you pray? Does something answer um, what, what sort of happened with, uh, with the nightmares? If you don't mind me prodding and poking <laughs> here a little bit, I'd love to know, is that still around this sort of six year old age gap or does it stretch a little bit? Yeah. Like seven or eight. Sorry. Um, there's 18 questions. Uh, have at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I s- still, I don't pray that much anymore mm. in the way that I used to for specific things. Mm. Um, and my experience of God answering has been uneven. Uh, you know, the, for me, the main part of my story is that I lost my first wife to cancer 10 years ago when she was 35. So, yeah, and sure. I prayed for her to live, sure. <laughs> you know, sure. and she didn't. Wow. My faith is stronger now than it was before she died. Um, and so there's an example of, you know, one's prayer not being answered despite a strong faith. Yeah, sure. Yet, I mean, what fascinates me is that as my own theology has become more heterodox, as my certainty 
mm-hmm. around my faith and what I believe and the, whether God is a being or a, or a concept or a, an energy, theistic, mm-hmm. non all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was only, <laughs> this is giving it away, but I think because my faith became more flexible and deeper as I let go of a lot of the things that, that of the certainties, I think it became, it didn't bend, it, didn't, it bent, but it didn't break when she died. Right. So, so, um, again, I feel like I'm a Christian today only because I did this deconstruction essentially before I was faced with that moment where there was, we say the rubber meets the road. Mm. Um, so <laughs> getting ahead of ourselves, but basically, yeah, I mean, uh, ever since I was a little boy, I, I basically believed what they told me about God, that God loved me, mm. God loved me and that you're supposed to pray. And I, I trusted my priests, which is not something that everyone, you know, does. No. I trusted my parents mm. and I trusted what they told me. We went to church every Sunday and I felt that the church was a place that was safe and was open to me, mm. you know? And so I, that's why I asked him to take me there when I was eight. Hmm. And, um, and, and the, that sense of, um, of trust that you talk about, you know, you place in, um, accepting what the priests tell you and, and what your what your parents have told you about God. Um, you know, there's there's always a sense, especially with, with little people, um, of this kind of custodianship over their spiritual lives, if I can put it that poorly, mm. um, of sort of imbued spirituality. It's not so much imparted, uh, mm. but um, it's it kind of carried on the strength of the other, was there a sense at, of a time at which that, uh, was there a transition for you? Um, because now I might be reading things in here in terms of, of where you're headed, but that's, it seems like quite loaded language when you talk about, you know, kind of believing what, what you were told. Uh-huh. Was, was there a time at which that started to come closer and you either started to question or to take that on for yourself? Um, and, and what were those experiences like as you, as you started to grow and lean into what can we call it? An adult faith, for lack of a better term. Does, yeah. does it make sense? It does. You're ask, it sounds like you're asking, uh, you know, if I believe what people told me, is there, did it come to a point where I started to question that? And then how did that affect my faith? Yeah, or, or, or did it become first person? Because often it's second person for, for a mm-hmm. child. You know, at some point, there's a takeover, as with many things in life, as, as children grow and mature. Mm-hmm. Was there a point at which that was readily accepted first person? and the experiences that sort of back that up within your faith life or a challenge and a questioning, or, you know, it's often quite complex. um, If that makes, uh, if that makes more sense in terms of what I'm asking. Well, as, as a musician and as a academic, I've always lived with a really powerful connection towards authority and you learn from the masters. Mm. So professionally, Mm. you know, like I went to grad school and most people in grad school talk about their professor. Right. Mm. But when I studied music composition, I had a teacher. Like I talk about my teacher. Mm. You know, Uh, I've professionally, I've always had a teacher, whether it was a piano teacher or a composition teacher conducting specific authority who has imparted a a wisdom from an essentially an oral tradition. Like I can actually trace my my teacher's teacher's teacher, teacher goes back to Mozart, direct line. Now, I, I don't have much of Mozart's talent, but, you know, I like to think that some of the things I learned from my teacher, you know, he learned from his teacher and et cetera, goes all the way back, right? So there's mm-hmm. this, so I've always had a really strong appreciation for and need for authority, like for people to tell me if I'm doing it right and how to do it. Okay. And much of my growth as a musician and artist has been, of course, letting go of all that and trusting myself to actually just do what I think, write what I think sounds good. Mm. And I would say that in my own faith, that has really only happened since LK, my first wife died because for the first time in my life, I I had an experience. I mean, as a 30 something year old, like you don't find, I'm sorry, white people in America generally don't have the experience of, of someone they love dying in their thirties. Yeah. So that's a privilege that we tend to have. Yeah. Mm. No, I cannot say the same about most people of color. Sure. Sure. So for what it's worth, uh, I'm not saying I participate in any kind of oppression, but I did have this experience that I couldn't find anybody else that had shared. Like it didn't help me for me to go to like a widow, a widower's group with all these 70 year old guys. 
So different. Like I had a five-year-old, you know? Um, At the same time, what I have found is for the first time in my life is I have a testimony. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Like all these years as an evangelical, because I basically, I became an evangelical after a Catholic. I never had that testimony. Like everyone says there has to be that moment where you came to Jesus. Hmm. And I could never identify that because I already always believed in God. Mm. And I had to make almost, you know, everyone, everyone embroiders their testimony and make sort of makes it up and shoehorns it. That's fine. I'm being a little negative here, but now I have a testimony. And ironically, the testimony for me is, is, is that I don't know how or why or how to describe it, but I know Jesus was there and Jesus got me through it and still there with me now. That is my testimony. And I have a testimony that, that is based on the fact that I can't describe it which is sort of the, the reverse of what your testimony is supposed to do when you're like at youth group, sure. where it's like, here's spe- this, a specific testimony that shows I believe certain things and I can communicate in a way that brings other people to Jesus. Hmm. I can't do that. But when I, and this goes back to my, my post, which was about how hard it is for me to, to work with a lot of conservative Christians because a lot of hmm. the language and it, it, it's very traumatic for me. Um, what I have now is the self-awareness and the belief that, and I have, I have basically a bulletproof testimony is I cannot use the right words. I can, I can, you know, again, I'm sorry to be negative here, but when I'm in a lot of situations with a lot of conservative Christians, now I feel the pressure to use certain language and describe Mm -hmm. God and faith in certain ways. I cannot do that anymore, but guess what? I don't have to. Because I have the kind of testimony that is deeper, that, that actually shows the, the felt presence of Christ in my life. And there's, so I feel kind of like bulletproof in this sense. I'm going to hate these analogies, but it's like, <laughs> like, I don't care. Like no one's ever come to you're not a real Christian, Dell, because you don't know when <laughs> you're going to save. Because I can say, I don't really don't care because Jesus is with me when my wife died. Mm. And there's nothing you can do at that point. And so, mm. and again, I, I'm not trying to view LK's life and death purely instrumentally as what it did for me at all. But I still, I'm in this ironic situation where it took that for me to actually have faith on my own terms. That was honest and authentic that I actually believed. So. And, and is it, is it um, almost a transition from having to play the language game to fit in? to really earning your own experience is that is that really the root of the conflict that you're referring to and the root of the uh, almost like the mismatch or... well you know as someone who's a humanities scholar mm-hmm. it's all about the language right like yeah. it's all you know that's what po- critical theory does that's what we're all about we're about it's, it's all rhetoric it's all how you say it yeah um, you know the, the medium is the message mm-hmm. um so like my, my wife, my current wife is, uh, my second wife, Laura, is a missionary kid, lost her faith in college, you know, when she took a class in postmodernism. Um, and I, she didn't believe in God. And I was like, I don't believe in the God. You don't believe in either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> like your language. I don't, I don't buy the language that you think is the, mm. she, I'm not going to put words in her mouth, but um, there's a certain way of talking about God that leads to a certain way of thinking about God that she does not believe in. And I also do mm. not. I just don't know if I have the language, any language anymore. I'm not sure if that's kind of what we're getting at, but. No, no, that's, that's, that, that, that's, that's very helpful. I mean, I, I, you know, just thinking back to um, the telling of your story and where you, where you go back for many people, there is quite a transition between where they started and how they, how, how they conceived of God in the earlier days to these big life events that happen. And together with that, there's often a, um, a closer experience of God and a leaning towards more the unknowing rather than the certainties of, you know, traditionally what one would say in a classical Christian environment, you know, be it Orthodox or Catholic or, you know, Evangelical, Protestant, which, wherever. Mm. Um, and, and, and it's at this point that, that it goes deeper and that almost the, the journey of, of one-on-one discovery really begins, for lack of a better like, phrasing of it. Um, 
you know, almost a, a going deeper beyond just uh, the outside references, because all these ideas that we take on, all these things that we affirm, affirm are, are external to us. You know, it's, it's part of the tradition. It's part of the scriptures. It, it's part of what we say about God. But what do we actually encounter in that first person? You know, what do we, you know, that, that one-on-one meeting, what is that really about? And it, it, it's, and, and that's unique for everyone. And so this whole thing to be in a, a state of a profound grief, it's a profound trauma. And to come out of that going, I've had an experience of Christ's presence in me. Um, that's, that's a lot more, that rings a lot more real and a lot more authentic to, to many people than the classic, oh, I have this as my statement of faith, or this is the claims that I make. But then oddly enough, coming from faith environments, when when people transition to to holding on to like the encounter that you had or seeking new language for it or seeking to more authentically express it, it oddly brings one into conflict with the faith and the faith groups that one was very much a part of, whether it was a month or a year or two earlier. You know, the, the going from speaking that language and being in that crowd to going, I have to find new language for this. And in trying to find that new language, that's not accepted. It's almost, um, you know, I won't, I, I won't put words in your mouth because we're staying within your, your experience, really. And I'm, I'm, I'm abstracting here a bit. But it's just, it's just something that is, that is quite pre- prevalent. And in that, people often end up with a lot of, a lot of pain and a lot of frustration. I, I, I agree. Um... I don't, I think I've, you know, this, this experience of, of loss and going through the unanswered prayer and, and these kinds of things, and then seeing kind of a restoration and redemption of my life. Um, mm. Like the, that's the spiritual experience of God. Like that, for me, that's the proof of God. Mm. Uh, and, and I know I just described it in words that might bring, that might connect with people who espouse a, a much more evangelical faith, right? Cause it's so personal. Mm. Um, yet I'm also steering clear of a lot of the language that we all know and have used, you know, mm. uh, and, and that sometimes we just, we mistake the language for, for the, we mistake the medium for the message. Um, mm. and it, I know I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth now, but again, I, I'm willing at this point to say, I just can't, I really, I find it really hard to talk about faith in God now, whereas it used to be the only way I experienced God was the ability was having the ability to talk about it. Mm. Um, and this is where music comes in because music doesn't have to have words and even music, sacred music that has words. It's not about the words. You may mm. think it's about the words, you know, even those great Lutheran hymns with all the great theology. Yeah, it's in there, but it's really not about the words. It's mm. about the sound, the body, the community that brings that music to life. Mm how it makes you feel uh every and those are things which if you could describe you know it would destroy them like again if you can describe music uh it's not music anymore <clears throat> it's just a recipe or something uh so so at my own journey as a musician i have started to um uh, i've always had a hard time as a professional church musician w- using music to worship because i've always been working you know, mm-hmm. uh, and even when I'm not working, but I'm singing that hymn and I'm trying to har- sing the, you know, the tenor line, I'm still working. I'm still mm-hmm. analyzing the chords. Can't stop myself from it. You know, <laughs> I've never yeah. been able to let go and let the music do it. You yeah. know, I don't do that. And now um, I still can't do that, but that's okay. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't have to explain why the music works anymore. Just like I don't have to be able to explain, I think, how my faith works anymore. You know, Del, there's so many aspects there of what you're talking about that I that I kind of want to touch on, but I think I must first just just say that I mean, you really honour us with uh, with sharing this life experience mm-hmm. that you've been through, and, and even that's not a big enough phrase to hold the depth of mm-hmm. of kind of what you're just scratching the surface in as you speak of of what I can imagine must have been just completely life altering and quite traumatic but you know you also speak of it in other terms mm-hmm. um and uh, yeah I, I, it's just it's probably good to mm-hmm. it's it's um i can't move on without kind of just holding that for a second and, and saying thank you uh, for trusting us with with sharing that moment mm-hmm. um 
and some of the things that flow from that are, are just so I'm kind of at a loss of loss for words here, which is which is quite um, synchronous with with where you've been going. <laughs> it's um, you know Tim and I often find find between the two of us as we're as we're talking about things somewhat of a similar experience of just going well, I, I just don't have the words anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to pick through and find new language and find new ways to describe things and discard old terms, etc. And I think some of it comes down to. Um, you know, some of the conflict that you're talking about is this recipe that you talk of, you know, that uh, if, I, if I could jump across to the music that you're talking about, that if you can just fit music into an easy recipe, it's not music anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been a large part of spiritual experience for people and church experience for people. And it's very prevalent, I think, in, in many areas of the Christian faith is this recipe take on faith <laughs> and kind of cookie cutter, you know, it all, it all kind of fits um, and I think there's some great certainty there for people. There's some great comfort there in, mm. in, in how clear-cut it can be. And I think that's why people try to push that kind of, be, kind of recipe language on us when we're looking for new language, when, when we're mm. trying to describe things that almost can't be described. Mm. And sometimes perhaps I've, I wonder even maybe shouldn't be described. So I'm, I'm just kind of I'm reflecting back in terms of what, you, what you've been saying and going, I'm, I'm just really uh, enjoying that is not the right term. Um, because it's it's far too deep for mere enjoyment, but there's so much there in terms of of casting out for something that describes what you've been through, and what you are going through, and what you know the future might hold. Some of the conflicts between the groups that would stick far more to recipe than than would actually embrace experiences like what you've had, um, and it's just really wonderful. Thank you, um, you know, for sharing that so far, and I'm looking forward to. To hearing more i hope i'm getting you in terms of uh, of what you're talking about yeah i think that um i think sort of summarize i i the, the the words and the um creeds and the formulas of christianity have have never felt comfortable for me even when i was clearly a catholic or clearly an evangelical mm. um, never like when i was a when I was a Catholic, which until I was about 15, um, you know, I, I, I looked at, I mean, I was, I was a little bit um, suspicious of the saints. I remember one guest priest coming to speak to my congregation talking about the rosary and the scapular and how you need to recite them or wear the scapular. And if you don't, you're going to spend more time in purgatory. There was a lot of stuff where I started to discover hmm. that I, I was not all into Catholicism, actually, if that's what Catholicism was. Hmm. Um, and then when my, basically my father got born again and took the whole family to the Baptist church mm-hmm. down the road, uh, which was a real change in my life. Uh, and, but even then, like I never had the testimony, I never had the words. Um, I, could, I could use, I, you know, I could mimic the words. I could use them. When I taught at Christian college and Christian secondary school, I, I had to use them to connect with my students. Mm-hmm. But there was always a disconnect between whether they were authentically coming from me um, and the same has been true of music, of sacred music all the way, where I never, I could never do praise and worship music as a, when I was an evangelical, I was trained as a classical musician. It just, it sucks, man. Sorry. <laughs> I just, I couldn't do it. And I know I was supposed to feel, hold, close my eyes and hold my hands up and feel the spirit. And I'm sorry, that music does not have the spirit in it. I don't want to be a jerk here, but like, mm. it didn't work for me. So again, a situation where both the, the, the literal words as well as the, 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 the music itself. Both of these two things are supposed to mediate the divine in, in religion, right? But I was never in a place where it really, it really did it to me. And yeah. so it was this constant like Calvinist worry, like, am I really chosen? Mm-hmm. You know, am I really going to heaven? Cause mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't feel like it. Um, you know, and now on the other side of the trauma of losing my first wife and also just developing as an artist, maturing in that way i'm in i'm at a place with both things where both i don't need the specific words of faith anymore and i actually don't need sacred music anymore as a mediator of the divine and what that has allowed is me to as you've said try to find my own place you know and not worry if there's any community that actually agrees with me one of the reasons why 
um, we, we phrase that initial question the way that we do uh, to people to, to invite them to, to share and explore their first experience of God is, um, um, is, is, par is partly to give the question scope, you know, like an open canvas of what does it mean to the person that hears it. Um, I, I have become aware that, um, that some of the evangelical audi audience that we have very much interpret that as a, what is your testimony question. And th mm. the words are very clearly different between what is your first experience of God versus what is your testimony. And, um, and, and that's been a curious thing for me to process in the background, often in conversation with people. And I, you know, you mentioning the testimony thing just brings it up for me here. Because what I'm very much hearing is, 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 is you talking in two very different layers about two very different first experiences of God. Um, I don't know if that sits with you as an idea, you know, that there's this, there's this childhood experience of God, and then recently you've got another first experience of God. And somehow they're both firsts, different, different times of life, geographically very different, two very different seasons, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And yet at the same time, the, the, they both work together to some degree, you know, um, or at least there's a newness in the second one, a new, a new engagement a new space, a new discovery of who and what God is to you and what God means. Does that make sense? Um, or Does, am I? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, you know, up until, you know, um, and I wouldn't say my faith really matured until, I mean, if it is mature, which it's, I'm sure it's not. Oh, look, you know, mine, mine isn't. There's no pressure in this conversation for that. <laughs> I, I feel like I was in a place where I sort of, I, deconstructed enough or my faith had changed enough and become flexible enough so that when LK got sick, mm -hmm. I could, my, it, my faith could withstand that. Um, but I feel like after, you know, after she died and over the past 10 years, uh, it has continued to change a lot in that direction. And the place I'm at now the, the, is, I don't feel like I need someone else to tell me what faith is and how to talk about it. And I'm not, and for a long time I needed that and I was afraid of not having it. And I just not afraid anymore of not having that. That's the big change. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that's maturity or just, you know, uh, you know, the worst example of humanism you've ever heard, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, but for me, my, yeah, I think losing, getting, recognizing the, the central position of fear in, in my faith and letting that go has been probably the number one uh, bright streak that, that's, that's, that's connected everything. And yeah. I'm glad that that streak has started to just, has faded. Mm. Yeah. I, I think if anything, we need more secular faith, a more this worldly faith, more of faith that's turned to this life where we turn to ourselves, each other and, and, and God in it rather than the kinds of faith that takes us away. Um, I, I often muse that a lot of spirituality is holiday spirituality. Whether you went on a yoga retreat or a Christian camp, you're going to often come away with exactly the same experiences as all, even if you just went away and sat on a you know, desert, well, you sat on a beach for a week. You know, you're going to come away with similar, similar effects from that. And yet, and yet somehow in that, there's, there's not necessarily a discovery of God in doing the religious. There's the benefits of going on holiday. And some of the challenges is tr to transition from um, faith experiences that are just de-stress experiences in order to faith experiences that are relational engagements. And, and that's really hard language to capture and, and really hard to get into, largely just because a lot of our language around religion and spirituality is so event-based. You know, we can talk about conference spirituality within Christianity, but you know, beyond that, especially within the commercialized spiritual, um, you know, uh, terrain that we've got today, it's exactly that kind of thing. You're paying for events that you go to. These events are well-planned, well-hyped, you know, and so the spiritual experience has collapsed into that rather than this kind of experience that, you, that, that, that you're referring to that seems to, um, not seems to, I'll backtrack on that as a word, that very much goes beyond just the, just the surface of the event alone of losing someone that goes beyond the surface event to learn of what the classic prayer and loss of faith is for people, as opposed to what you're reflecting, you know, that there is a profound loss. And yet in that there's a profound accompaniment 
and 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 that accompaniment carries through for you to this day yeah i mean you know the footsteps poem yeah like i yeah. can't believe that i believe that crap but i do man <laughs> <laughs> but i don't have the poster <laughs> you know and it's not crap i mean it's crap the way it's described and that's the yeah. problem i mean that's, you know i'm sorry mm -hmm. but you know mm -hmm. it's just kind of it's very highly ironic to me that at the very the time of life when I start to let go of the need for hmm. classic testimony, which is that Jesus abided with me. Like that's when he did or she, hmm. right? Christ. We'll talk about Christ beyond gender, hmm. you know, like, you know, and, and that's, it's, there's a deep irony there. Hmm. Um, and uh, that that's okay. You know, and I, and I'm okay with not being able to just to, you know, to describe it. And um, yeah. on the flip side of this, though, is I, I've worked really hard because professionally I do a lot of work, ecumenical work, and personally I'm committed to it. Like I haven't left behind uh, uh, the evangelical world. Uh, <laughs> well, the left beyond phrase is quite, uh, is, is quite, a, quite a loaded one. I'm <laughs> yeah, sure it's a good to nod to the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't left them behind and it would be a lot easier if I just said, that was really hard. That was a, a season of my life that traumatized me a lot, caused me a lot of pain, guilt, shame, and fear. Yeah. And I don't want to hear electric guitars in church anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to use the word just when I pray anymore. I just want to pray to you. Like there's all these little things that are like the ones that are like little daggers, you know, mm -hmm. and, but I can't because I've chosen, I, I feel drawn and called to working with all sorts of Christians and, and so that's what I'm struggling with. And, and that's hard for me because I, I don't want to feel like I've got it all figured out. That's the, then I'm just back where I started, like being a, being in, an ideologue. Um, but I also don't want to put myself in the position where I'm sort of re-traumatized uh, by mm. these by communities. A at the same time, I want to, I want to um, look in, with love and patience upon people that might be in a different place in their journey uh, without being patronizing and thinking that, oh, they'll just get there someday. So holding all of these realities at, at once um, because of what I do professionally and because of this personal calling, I, I have to do all these things. And I kind of wish I didn't. I kind of wish I could just leave that life behind me, um, but it's, it's not happening. And that's why I posted it in the, in the, in the group. Like, how do you do this? <laughs> and, and this work that you're talking about, I almost want to take a long run at this. Um, but the question really is, is around the calling to, to this work. Is this, is this part of, of you discovering your, your, your own voice that you, that you're kind of sort of weaving back and through as you speak through your story Um is that calling very much a part of that um, as, as you disentangle from, from some past things? And I hear you talking about not leaving the behind. Um, mm. And I'm, I'm going to ignore that choice sort of rabbit trail for now, um, just because I'm aware of the time that we have. But mm. this, this calling in working ecumenically, is this part of discovering your own voice um, and mm. your own kind of direction, impact? There's all sorts of language that can be used there. Mm. Um, does that make sense? It's, it is a ministry, to use the word, that, that has not been yeah. co-opted, I think. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm comfortable with that in certain places. Um, I, I feel like this is a, I've discovered a way that I can, in an integrated way, bring my personal and my professional lives together in the service of the church uh, in a way that works for, you know, that works for me. Um, so just... Mm. What, specifically what I have been doing recently is creating musical events that bring, that use, that use, um, um, use music outside of worship as a way to explain and explore and mediate scripture. So essentially the idea is gathering an ecumenical group of Christians together, listening to musical settings or interpretations of scripture, whether they're by Bach or by, uh, you know, by myself or by, by a, mm. a composition. And then using the music as this lens or this springboard for digging into faith and scripture. 
And so it's, I call it ecumenical musical Bible study um, or ecumenical faith formation through music or something like that. And I'm not mm -hmm. a clergy person. I'm a teacher who can talk about music and I can talk about how music works, but I'm using my experience with sacred music to do, to do that. So what I'm trying to do is I found that this is a way that I can bring all these things together in a way that make that that's comfortable for me. And I think is meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. The only downside is when I work with communities that have a more rigid or clear vision of what faith is. And I come up against that. Um, and I just try to figure out how to know what to do, how to handle mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And, and what's your, what's your hope for these moments still that you're creating for the different sort of parts of Christian community as a, as an umbrella, these ecumenical gatherings, what's, what's the hope for, for the people either as individuals or the different groups as they come together? What are you hoping for out of those? Well, that's, that's a great question. I have a couple of, you know, clear, clear agendas, right? One is to mm. literally get a bunch of American Christians together in a room to talk about the Bible without fighting with each other. Sure. I mean, it's just in the States, it's just crazy how I have, I have so much more in common as a progressive Christian with atheists than with Baptists. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, sure. it's not even close. And that breaks my heart because I believe in Christian unity. And I believe that this story is much bigger than any denomination or tradition. Yeah. And so literally when we're, I'm in a room with a hundred with Catholics and evangelicals, Pentecostals, you know, mainliners, uh, and and we're talking about the Bible together in small group. Like that's kind of heaven for me. Like it actually it works. And what makes it work is that the music mediates it. Because the music, because music, the arts, they just don't. They just ask more questions than they answer. Mm. Uh, and so, so the very fact that we get people together. And we have peaceful conversation that seems to bring us together. That that's enough. The other agenda, and I got to be honest, is I, I am. I am evangelizing for an approach to scripture and faith that is more open, that embraces mystery and questioning. Mm -hmm. And I have seen in many of these sessions, people who have a very strict understanding of the Bible, start to talk about the Bible and and use language about scripture that is more fuzzy. It's more postmodern. It's more open. And I have to admit those moments, I feel a little happy because I feel like, because <laughs> I feel like it's, it's working. Yeah. You know, it's, it, you know, uh, it, it is working. It's, it's just rem a reminder to some folks that the Bible is much stranger and mysterious than we think it is. And we oftentimes recognize it to be. And so is faith. Hmm. So, so, so Dell, thank you for that. But um, it sounds like there's this dimension that's really working for you, and yet you also use language that is very uh, that if, that uh, expresses a lot of frustration, uh, that uh, hints at there being conflict. Mm. Um, um, what is happening there for you? Um, uh, in America there is a really powerful, um, there's a network of, of Christian colleges and universities. Mm. Yeah. And they are one sort of end of the sort of the, 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 the conservative Christian, uh, mm. you know, behemoth that's, that exists in the United States. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, the Christian industrial complex, complex with uh, mm. <laughs> you know, Nashville and praise and worship music and, and mm. publishers and mm. Donald Trump, I'll just say it. You know, um, and those people have a lot of resources. They have a lot of opportunities, and I need to partner with the, that community, that that world, in order to reach the people I want to reach and to support the work I do. Mm. And so I do a lot of I do a lot of code switching, as I'm you know, you know, like I I I do I feel like I need to talk about God and faith in ways that make that make that makes sense to funders or professors or you know leaders of institutes or media right mm. and that is really hard for me because on the one hand to be cynical it feels well it feels like i'm being a hypocrite 
Uh, and at the same time, I also think on the flip side is being that whole Bible verse about not being a stumbling block for others. And I can't go in. If I start talking about using a you know a feminine pronoun for God, they're not going to trust me. Yeah. Folks are not going to, they're not going to work. They're, maybe they don't even think I'm safe, whatever that is, but they're not going to mm-hmm. trust me. It's not going to be a real relationship. It's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. It's not respectful of them to use that language. And, and so I find myself often working with friends, working with colleagues or trying to pitch projects to people with access or power, you know, it's very small ways, you know, and you having to use this language, but doing it in two ways. And, and it, it, that's hard for me. It's like a constant living in translation in some ways. Mm-hmm. And look, as a white guy in America, I am not used to this. Like usually I, I talk, people listen to me and I'm supposed to be understandable. Anybody mm. else is used to people not listening to them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. not understanding them. This is a new thing for me. And I'm not claiming, again, I'm not claiming oppression here, but it is true that like, I, I, I just having a code switch is a really weird thing for me. That's a little bit like trying to build a bridge on the one side in the Imperial and the other side in the metric system. Mm. Um, but but i but i have that sense in terms of of what you're hoping to do is some of the bridge building between different Mm. elements of kind of christian church community Mm. but attempting to speak the language on either side to bring them closer together but i hear you i hear your frustration around some of the questions that that i hear you asking of yourself of you know, is, is it is it the right thing to speak two different languages in two different directions? Uh, that kind of stuff is is that some of it, along with just I imagine some of the surface level frustration of of people saying you know deliberately uh, sort of highly conservative things, um, or you know, there's there's always that kind of um, what, what I find quite interesting. Let me put it this way: in some of my experience around conservative Christianity is that you're immediately included around the bar conversation. You're just given a whiskey and a cigar, and it's just immediately uh, assumed that you believe all the same things and accept all of the same things, etc. And so, you know, you have to put up with weird and, and wonderful things said until you just kind of say, well, no, I don't agree, or I don't like that, or, you know, perhaps you should speak differently, or that doesn't land with me, or whatever it might be. Is, is, that, is there a number of levels of that kind of going on that you're talking about that I'm hearing? Absolutely. That's a great way to think about it. I mean, the wonderful thing is you can say you're a Christian, and I mean, again, I rarely describe myself as a Christian anymore to someone who's not an evangelical because of all mm. the baggage it has, in, at least in America, you know? Uh, because even the term, are you a Christian, is, doesn't compute. Um, it means a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, and usually, you know, I have to say, I have to follow that up, or I just, you know, I just, I'm a progressive Christian. I'll call myself that. Or I'm a person of faith, right? Mm. Or the word Christian is loaded, especially, I think in America, maybe it's the case where you folks are as well. Um, so even that term, itself, so if I say, hi, I'm a Christian composer, right? In a, in, a, in a random email I send to somebody, like that's going to usually indicate something, which is that I'm an evangelical. Um, so I will use that. I will self-identify as such when necessary. And there may be some fringe benefits because that person might think I'm an evangelical, which might think, ha- have them trust me. Mm. I know that I'm trustworthy. But if I don't, if I don't call myself a Christian composer versus a, I'm a composer who's a Christian, like that means something totally different. Mm. You know what I mean? So even just that phrase, yeah. you know, or I'm a Christian academic, that just means something totally. And I only use, I only self-describe when I'm talking to certain people. And I, I like the fringe benefits, but I also feel, I also feel hypocritical about it. Yet the nice thing is it's, it, it gets you to the bar. Right. And then I'd like to say that I stay there and I, I earn my position at the bar by having a real conversation. That's honest and authentic. Mm. Um, Cause I haven't been kicked out of any bars yet. <laughs> you know, like I, I've worked with a lot of people and I, no one said, Oh, well, this was great until you said that. And I don't know, man, like we can't really work with you anymore. Like that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And I haven't been, I haven't been lying. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I think that's the thing there is, is that in, in the past, the self-designations were clear. The in-out uh, boundaries in terms of what outsiders looked at and identified one as when one used language Christian. And the inside language was also um, meant the same thing. But in the modern world, we've got we've got a, a faith that's quite diversifies and fractured. You know, as you say, you refer to the progressives. Well, we've got the fundamentalists. You've got the um, uh, the very hip culture current ones that are just really commercial. You know, it's commercial Christianity. You know, etc. Mm. etc. Et you refer to the the the, the, the Christian industrial con- complex within the United States, or at least mm. you know your your area and your experience within it. And so, in some ways, the 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 word Christian is no longer a clear definition. It's no longer necessarily even a safe word amongst mm. Christians, let alone a safe word out there. You know, mm. um, so 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 in some ways, like to, to use that as a term and to reserve the use of it, to use it within very special applications and that. Is is just a it's it's just a wise mature adult thing to do. Um, I, I understand that it can carry a lot of uh, a lot of uh, um, you know just the question you're like you know is one being honest should one label oneself one way or not you know should one toss the label completely what does one do but but it really mm. does it does work you know it's like putting on uh, it's like putting on one kind of pants versus another kind of pants to go to a meeting right. We, we dress ourselves up in language as much as we dress ourselves up in clothes mm. um, and, and certain things are appropriate in certain environments. But these words, even, even if someone says they, they're an atheist, they, there's a world of difference between the anti-theist, the atheist mm. and, and, and the agnostic who has been co-opted as an atheist who identifies as such. You know, um, and, and in fact, if you dig down to it, atheists in all their variety and Christians in, in all their variety largely believe in the idea of a God or believe against an idea of God, but in common share the absence of an experience in God. You know, so, mm. so the minute we start getting into these things, the, the word is not neutral and it doesn't carry an objective value or an objective meaning to it. It's got an intersubjective meaning that is co-created between you and the person you're speaking to. And, mm. and in that sense, it's just, it's just you know, it's just, uh, you know, thankfully you've got the, uh, the smarts on you socially and intellectually to be able to do that. Like that's, that's really good. Mm. You know, that's you got to wear something. You got to wear pants. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To get to the bar, it does help. Yeah. Well, that's true. Like you're going to have to describe yourself in some way and you might as well pick a way that, that is, for me, honest and authentic. Yes. Also mm-hmm. empathetic because I'm feeling more and more that as I get more confident in my not being able to use words to describe myself and my faith, I'm recognizing that what a stumbling, what a stumbling block that can be to others. So I, and I don't want to be pat, um, patronizing, but I, there does no be any good for me to, you know, walk into the bar without any pants on and say, you have to accept me. Mm, totally. Do anybody any good? Nobody any good. Mm. Uh, and and it's awkward and it's embarrassing for them, mm. if not for me. Like I'm not I'm not embarrassed anymore about mm. that. Don't mm. push the analogy, but you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, totally, and, totally. And, <laughs> yes. I will continue with Oscar, whatever. Like, yeah. it, it's just, but because I'm in that, I feel like I'm in a position of strength yeah. to be able to say I don't have to. But that doesn't mean that I'm allowed to. You know, I, or I ought to. It's like open carry weapons laws in Texas. Just mm-hmm. because you, the legislature says you can carry a weapon in public, doesn't mean you should, because mm-hmm. some people don't want it. And I'm not saying like I'm like a weapon, but I think that when you walk into a room and say, "Hey, uh, I pray to God, she's my favorite," you know, or like I love her, like that is like mm-hmm. that's a real problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be. Yeah. It can be a real problem. So why yeah, would you? Yeah. With you know, don't leave with it. <laughs> Well, I, 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 was, I was in an uncomfortable position years ago where um, she very clearly uh, instructed me to refer to her in the feminine for a couple of months. So I, I had no option and I had to bumble into it in every situation I, I went into. <laughs> <laughs> it was particularly uh, painful and traumatic, <laughs> but uh, wonderfully liberating at the same time. <laughs> mm. but, 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 but failing that, you know, it's, uh, it's easy to, to moderate it. And then the question is like, what language does one use? Does one retain the traditional spelling does one change it you know so there's all these things in which case the, the scope opens up rather than narrows down yeah yeah i mean i was going to say i think part of that is um is just 
you know, there's there's a thread that comes out of a number of, of Tim and my conversations with a number of different guests mm. of of just being somewhat into uncharted territory. Some of this mm. is just off the map kind of work mm. um, in discovering this new language and asking these questions. Um, I, I love I love Del your your courageousness that not wanting to overlook the question of of hypocrisy. I think that's that's fantastic. But I think part of that comes up because this is just, um, and I don't think it's a cop-out to say that this is just off-the-grid kind of work. We are searching for something new. Um, it, it reminds me of, uh, there's this wonderful scene out of, a, out of a British comedy series called Blackadder. And the main character, Blackadder, is about to head off on an exploration into, uh, into new territory. And his friend comes and says to him, you know, the, former, the foremost cartographers of our age have provided this map of the area that you're going to. And he gives him a blank piece of paper. And he says, they'd be very grateful if you just fill it in as you went along. <laughs> and that for me, I think is, is much of the work that happens here mm. is we are just, we're looking for new language. We're trying to face down tough and difficult questions. Mm. Is it hypocritical to behave in this way? Is it loving? What is mm. the most loving? What is the most empathetic response? I, I love that that is your conclusion in some ways towards a growing confidence, that confidence leads you towards empathy, towards compassion for the other. Because I think in many ways, immature faith dictates that the more confident you are, the less compassionate or empathetic you have to be towards mm. the other. Because mm. those who are right need not be compassionate or empathetic. Mm. But mm. I love that, that that is a territory that you're exploring in that question that you say, well, you know, how do I, essentially, you ask the question, how do I be more compassionate towards those around me? Um, how do I behave in such a way that is not uh, lording my new space over them, um, you know, um, and and I think that for me is part of. In some ways, it's it's a it's kind of to use the <laughs> go back into this uh, into this space. Use the loaded language of it's it's prophetic, mm -hmm. it's it's wisdom work. There's there's a number of different things I think that describe this, but it's also work in process uh, progress. It's also process work, and it has to be seen as that. And I find that that's one of the hardest places to have conversation with people who work on departure arrival um, continuums mm. to understand process work. Uh, you know, it's, it's similar to some of the, you know, all of the conspiracy theorist kind of stuff, um, the questions of science. Well, you know, science doesn't know what it's talking about because it changed its mind. Yeah, well, well, science is often in process. And so it's required to change its mind as new evidence comes to light and we discover new things, et cetera, et cetera. Otherwise, we'd all be living the way we were, you know, 1,500 years ago or so. And, and that's yeah. not necessarily what we want. You know, indoor plumbing has been quite good, for example. <laughs> so um, I, th I think part of that is also just the process work. Um, and there's, there's so many elements there as you speak, Del, that, that come out of your, out of your mm. story um, that, that highlight that. Mm. You know, I like how you describe this. I mean, I, 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 first of all, I, I appreciate you providing some ways for me to think about my own story and from your perspective and your experience. This is a, again, I feel, I'm feeling ministered to. I'm willing to say that. Sure, it's very kind of you. Um, yeah. You know, I, th I think this sort of this confidence and this, if, if it's true that confidence and strength allow one to be more empathetic, for me, again, the analogy is, is with music, because if you're, you know, if you're a musician, and let's say jazz is a better example of this, um, where mm -hmm. everyone's improvising, and, a, you know, it's classic, like a youngster comes into the group, and they play all these hot licks and stuff, and it's all about them, and mm -hmm. they force the whole band to, 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 they take up all the space. They force the whole band to go with them. Mm. And I guess what, they don't, they're not going to get called back to the gig. Um, but the more experienced player, whether they're just a better player or much more mature, they know what they do. They know what they do well. And then they listen and they come in and they, they, they make the group better. Mm. Uh, and they, they can only do it because they know when not to play. They mm. know when they to go with, to follow somebody else's lead. Um, and it's this, this, and I feel like, you know, for me, the faith is about improvising in the moment mm. and knowing now I, I know enough to be able to sit in with a bunch of different bands and listen and, and take the lead and not have to always bend the, 
bend the situ situation, bend, bend the song to my will. Um, and I think that's a musical empathy here, right? It's, it's mm. like, it's, yeah. it's what it's listening, but it's also, I'd like to think that that's a metaphor that I can use for sort of interfaith work. Mm. You know? um, the, the, the interesting like thing there is, is, is I, I, I absolutely, you know, I, I, I love that. But in some ways, it's, a, it's paradigmatically quite different to the context where one person does come in and take over the whole show and everyone else is there for that show mm -hmm. very preacher centered very you know even worship band centered mm -hmm. you know it, it it's a stage to audience and, and 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 people receive and things are projected from the stage right in in many ways so come into that environment and say let's all play together and, and perhaps that strength of the person leading one environment doesn't translate into this environment like that can definitely lead to some triggers for 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 uh, for participants in your kinds of in in what you're doing, that that they'd likely um, not express with uh, the greatest care, empathy, and sensitivity in the world, <laughs> and potentially lead to some of the re-traumatizing re you're referring to. I mean, is that does that in some way touch on perhaps some of what you're experiencing? I mean, I don't want to push the amount analogy too far, but I do think that I keep sitting in with all these bands that I used to play with, mm. <laughs> but now I'm a different player, okay. you know? Mm. And, and so, and that's just tough because the band expects me to play certain licks and I don't play them anymore. I don't, I'm not the same kind of guy I was, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of how I feel. Uh, but I need to remember that um, we are all improvising, even mm. if they think they're just playing what's written down. I mean, I, I do a lot of classical music, of course, mostly. And, What's written on the page, it's just the beginning, mm. you know? and everyone, you know, and so even though sometimes, you know, my students think that, oh, I just got to play what's on the page. It'll come out right. No, no, no. The reality mm. is that that's just, that's just, the, that's, that is just the recipe. Mm. And some people I work with think that their entire, the entirety of the Christian experience is captured in certain words or approach to scripture. And my approach is that it's just the beginning. Mm. Um, I got, but I got to, I got to sit in with the band, you know, I got to make sure we still make music. Yeah. Sure. Dill, I'm, I'm uh, just aware of your time restrictions on your side. Cool. I wanted to share just one last thing with you, just by way of thanks in mm. terms of your, your joining us in this conversation. Um, I'm, I'm also a musician, although I would uh, I, I'll put that forward rather tentatively given some of uh, some of your background and training and uh, and body of work that I've I've had to listen to, um, but um, picking up what for me is a mirrored story in terms of your your sort of life path as musician and your spiritual life path and this idea of you finding your own voice that comes through very strongly. Um, for me at least, uh, unless I'm hearing something way off radar. Um, and, and, and that speaks very much into my life and some of my experience of having to ha have had to find my own voice within music and also within kind of some of the, it's been a similar path of deconstruction in a way, asking mm. questions around what was and how I was raised and some of the music path that was, uh, that was handed to me earlier on in life and then decisions I made later. And even mm. I'm still making as a musician, um, but also as I deconstruct uh, my ideas around, you know, God and faith and church, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so unless I'm projecting horribly into your story, <laughs> there's something there that really reaches me and is very encouraging. Um, and, I, and I've been searching for it while we've been talking, searching my brain. I'm certain it's a quote by Jung, who's, who's just one of my favorites of, of all time, mm. who talks about the necessity to find mm. our own voice, to be able to speak with our own words. And that comes through very strongly in your story, even though I'm not suggesting that your story is over. I still see you speaking the language of process. Mm. Um, and so I just wanted to say thank you. Being able to listen in on your story has given me opportunity to reflect on my own. Mm. Um, and to appreciate perhaps some aspects that I need to think a little bit further on. So thank mm. you. Well, I really appreciate joining you folks. Thanks so much. Well, Dal, yeah, just, just from my side, thank you so much. I, I, I really, um, 
you know, you know, we live in a very agenda-based society and um, I, I really just appreciate your willingness to step on and have a conversation that that is agendaless in the sense of just mm. having the conversation and just exploring and seeing where it goes and, you know, to for you to share so generously and so vulnerably about yeah. what's what's been going on and just from the position of being in, in process without, you know, anyone without the unfair expectations of anyone to solve things or you know to to have to go off in a particular direction but just to just just for you to share and to engage with us is, is just deeply appreciated from our side thank you well thank you very much for having me